Hi, everyone. This is Chris Lim with the Theotech Podcast. And today I'm excited to have on the show uh, James Adams. He's an AI professional who spent 12 years overseas seeking to invite unreached people to follow Christ. And today we're going to talk about applications of AI in missions. James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. So exciting to be with you. I'm really excited for today. So to frame our conversation, could you start by defining for you, what is missions? Right. So basically, I think missions is defined sometimes differently by different people. So for the context, what we're talking about today, let's define missions as the objective of reaching people across cultures with the gospel of Jesus Christ, in particular, unreached peoples that have less access to the gospel mm -hmm. or no access to the gospel. We're talking about people that live in a different culture to your own where there's no church to attend and no witness for them or very limited mm. for them to, to hear the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. So these are the situations where there really is no platform whatsoever for the gospel. It's not like missions on a college campus, let's say, where there's local churches exactly. and everything. Right. Yeah, I think that's the context we're focusing on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are those big challenges that uh, this kind of mission faces? There are a number of challenges. So the first one would be, if our objective is to do Christ's commission, to go to the ends of the earth, make disciples of all nations, we need to find the people that he is drawing. We need to find the, those that are interested in the gospel. Mm -hmm. But we don't know who they are. So the, the first big problem is finding people to share the gospel with, which you can then disciple when they come to faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the first problem would be how to find them. Second problem would be if you have somebody, you need somebody else to share the gospel with him and unpack it, live it, show it, and disciple that person if he comes to faith. So you need an evangelist or another disciple to work with those people. So the second problem is we don't have enough of these people. Mm. We don't have enough workers, especially in unreached locations where it's hard to get into and hard to stay in for many mm. reasons. And also it's hard to communicate. If you have somebody there, you need him to know the language. That's part of the bigger problem of having people there to do the work, right? Yeah. So the three that you said, one is finding the people God has chosen in every city or every place. Two is having yeah. workers who can reach those people. And yeah. three was also the language barrier and cultural barrier, right. someone who can actually communicate with them. Right, right. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty big. <laughs> those would be three big ones. And you, you have experience in the field for like 12 years and... I think it's very interesting that you've been a missionary and you also are an AI professional. Can you share a bit about your passion for missions and how that intersected with your technology background? Yeah. In a nutshell, I discerned God has given me two passions. I discerned over time that I need to pursue both of them. So mm. the two being, you know, first engineering and science. I have a deep love for engineering, science and computers. Mm -hmm. big passion for math and computers, and then also a big passion for the gospel and the challenge of missions. You know, mm -hmm. the final commandment Christ gave before he left Matthew 28 is go to every nation, make them my disciples. I love Jesus. I love his doing his missions, mm -hmm. but I also love math and, and, and computers. So 
<laughs> bringing those things together brings you to this kind of topic of AI and missions. Mm -hmm. Because in AI, as you know, it's a field that's highly mathematical and mm -hmm. also pretty much based on programming. We want computers to learn. So to do that, we need to first understand the math of machine learning. And then secondly, being able to program a computer to learn. AI brings those things together. Yeah, yeah that, I think that, that you're right. AI is that interface between the human, in a sense, and the mathematical, the formulaic, and the machine. Yeah. Actually, we were just talking earlier, like all day yesterday, I was just coding all day. And it's really hard for me to get out of like talking to computer mode and then talking to human mode. And right. <laughs> you were just saying that, hey, I think I have a family, so it, it, I could do it really easily all the time. And it just feels like AI is that, that interface, actually, where it seamlessly connects the computer world with the human world. Yeah. There's a quote of a famous mathematician that said, if you work in AI, you tend to believe in God. That's what he said. Because if you, as you study artificial brains, trying to learn things, you get more and more awed at our brains and how God made it, right? Mm -hmm. How amazing a human is and how hard it is to get a machine to be like a human. We, there's a lot of breakthroughs in AI and we've made a lot of progress, but I, it feels like every progress we make, we just find out how hard it is even more to get to a human level. Humans are able to, to make decisions on edge case information without having seen many examples where machines mm -hmm. find it really hard if they haven't seen enough edge cases to respond appropriately. Yeah. With that, let's go ahead and dive into that first big challenge that you mentioned in missions, which is how do you find the people that God is drawing? What did that look like before? And what do you see being the innovation with AI? Let's set this, the stage here a bit. You know, these problems have been in missions a long time. And I think what we're talking about today is the future. We, uh, we envisage a future where the breakthroughs that AI have had the last couple of years can be brought to the mission field. That's our hypothesis. Our hypothesis is that we can actually do missions better using the cutting edge AI research output that has been coming across the finishing line and it will increasingly happen. So how to find people that are interested I think there's a lot we can say about this. There will be many ideas, but one idea that comes to mind immediately is applying intelligent recommendation systems. And this is already being done to some extent. So some of the things we're going to discuss today is already available. You know, Google and Facebook is already recommending to every user things that they would be interested in because mm -hmm. they learn the interests and Amazon. For example, every e-commerce website learns your interests based on your behavior, based on what you've purchased, what you're looking at. The same thing we can do for missions where people in closed locations, countries where they don't have access to the gospel, often people who are interested would go on Google and search about Jesus Christ. Mm. Who is Jesus Christ? What is the gospel? Things like this. Yeah, Google will, will know this is what they're interested in and can recommend appropriate content for that question, either advertisements yep. or search results. We could use Google and Facebook, or we could use our own platform and recommend to people that do searches like this, where to go. So they, they are already, and we could make more evangelistic websites where people go to and can engage with the gospel. This idea would be using people's 
interests as recorded by different platforms to recommend content to them. So in that case, this is a this is a case where really you don't need to be an AI professional. If you're a digital marketer who knows search engine optimization and who yeah. can create crafted ads and can kind of see the performance of campaigns, right. you might be able to be a big service here because you're really leveraging the AI work that the tech giants are already doing and right. reaching people through the gospel that way. Yeah, it's already being done. I just heard this week about a unreached people group mm -hmm. in the Middle East region that don't have a church. They're just getting the Bible in their own language. So they're mm -hmm. very unreached. There was a Facebook campaign to um, give them advertisements to content that would be evangelistic for them. Mm -hmm. So we can pay money to a company like Facebook to put ads that lead to a website that has content for them. You know, it could be gospel in their own language or Bible recordings or Jesus video clips or whatever it is. Yeah. And those websites also often have people behind them that can engage with them in chat, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, it's another kind of angle on it, which I, I think will tie into your next big challenge is I think that that way of using AI scales really well, but the human element can be lost because it is just kind of giving them media. But it would be kind of cool just the way that Facebook recommends friends, like suggest friends and stuff. Right. If, if there's a recommendation system that could do that, it's like, yeah. uh, Chris, you know, maybe you can reach out to this friend. He seems like somebody who is it would be open to the gospel or interested in Christ. Why don't you go do something about that? Right, uh, right, right. Yeah. You know, power so the human we, element. Yeah, we can connect people. Instead of just connecting content to people, we can connect people to people. Yeah. We might not be able to use the big tech giants for that. Mm-hmm. Or to a less less extent, maybe we need to build our own network of people to recommend to other people. But mm -hmm. it's the same idea, you know. It was kind of the idea behind the app, the prayer app that we built, Ceaseless Prayer. We didn't use AI. We just had Christians basically who downloaded this app. We integrated with the contacts on their phone and would show them three of their contacts to pray for every morning. So there's no AI there. It's a randomized algorithm. But when right. they actually pray, they could send a text message or an email to their to that person saying, "Hey, we prayed for you," and they may not, the person may not even be a Christian or anything. And yeah. I was really surprised. I would get stories back from people saying that, you know, Cisa showed me this person, so I hadn't reached out to them in like three years, and I just sent them a message, and whoa, they were really touched that I prayed for them, and then they shared all these other things with me, and we got to reconnect. And I, yeah. I kind of see that uh, that human element playing such a big part in loving other people, and AI could be a part of that process. But in that case, it worked even without AI. It was just literally a random algorithm showing three contacts to pray for every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe there's a way to to build on that, to make it, to use AI, you know? Do the mm -hmm. same thing, but just use AI to make it more intelligent. Mm -hmm. um, I guess to do that, we'll need to build our own network graph. Facebook builds a, a graph of your social connections, right? Mm -hmm. Or the whole world's connections, they put in a huge graph. Yeah. So we do something similar for believers and or seekers Maybe that's something that could work. We'll have to think about privacy issues and and some other difficulties. But I guess what we're trying to do now is just brainstorm, right? Yeah. There's there's all there's kind of practical challenges to making this stuff really work. Mm -hmm. What we we're kind of theorizing about what could be possible. Yeah. Yep. Like you had mentioned last time we talked, there's two ways to actually approach the second problem, which is how do you find the people who can be evangelists or disciple makers? Yeah. One is that, that maybe that human recommendation system style thing. But another idea you had was an AI bot. Why don't we talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So these evangelistic websites, for example, would have real people behind them chatting 
typing, texting with, with seekers. That's already mm. happening too. Okay, so that's people, interactive. It's already happening that people land on websites, they engage with somebody that knows that language and that knows the gospel. So it's a it's a disciple trying to reach out to them. This idea would be to scale that, to use AI to be at least the first point of contact. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't need so many people. There's a limited amount of people that can do this work. You know, in these places, there are no believers to begin with, or very few. Yeah, The believers that are there are not able to do this work always because they're living under scrutiny by the governments, right? So you have foreigners doing the work, but there's only so many of them. And only so many foreigners who know the language well enough to do it. Mm -hmm. So we could use AI, the chatbot technology, to build a chatbot that can discuss the topic of the gospel with a seeker. And we can overcome the language problem by using machine translation, potentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the big challenges in AI is having data sets to train on, right? So we might not have data in a particular language to train the, the chatbot, but we can overcome a bit of that by using translation, machine translation. Mm -hmm. So it's two AI technologies combined, so chatbots and machine translation. Chatbots are in their infancy as well. I mean, we're just starting now to train chatbots that can have a topical discussion. Mm -hmm. We know we're close to having chatbot that can talk about anything in the world, right? Like a human. We're moving forward. So why not use the technology and the knowledge that is available today for this purpose? So to be clear, you just said that it's actually easier to do a general purpose conversation rather than a topical one? No, no, other way, other way okay. around. I think. Yeah. yeah. So no, we could train potentially a chatbot on domain specific content like gospel yeah. materials like GPT-3, yeah. but maybe a second training round at the end that kind of models the gospel content and hopefully yeah. generate better answers that are more theologically sound. Exactly. Yeah. So I think you would, in, in the natural language AI world, pre-training is the big thing. So mm -hmm. GPT-3 is pre-trained on a huge amounts of data, which could, we could use that. And then you do fine tuning or final training to focus it on a particular topic. Yeah, like the gospel to a seeker. We could do that. And chatbots have the advantage that you could use reinforcement learning, not only mm. supervised learning. So because the challenge in supervised learning is you need big data sets, which is not always available, especially in a chatbot where the number of sentences you could say is infinite, right, on mm -hmm. a topic. And the more topics, the more infinite becomes. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you can't have enough data to train it. But we mm -hmm. can use reinforcement learning that can keep on learning as it chats uh, with feedback signals from its audience. So we could do some of that. Like if the, if the human talking to the chatbot thinks what's going on is good and gives a feedback, the chatbot knows, okay, I'm on the right track. And something like that to reinforce its learning and to keep learning. We could use some of that skills as well to those techniques to overcome the data shortage problem. But is there an issue there where uh, with reinforcement learning, could malicious people end up interacting with the bot and then making it go in a bad direction the way that we yeah, had yeah. Microsoft's right. Taybot? Yeah, yeah. Really bad. It was trained on Twitter and just was a very rude bot they had to shut down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, we will definitely have issues like that to think about. I mean, there will be many challenges to this, these ideas. Yeah, for, yeah, for like context, just to see where the state of the art is at. For the, the, my audience that may not know, GPT-3 was this giant language model, I guess, that was released by OpenAI. 
that's so powerful that you can even like create images just with your speech and just tell it something and you can start generating these amazing pictures of your imagination. That's an, built on top of the GPT-3 base model, yeah. I was really impressed with that. And I was thinking like, hey, you could even like illustrate the Bible that like you're just reading it. And then all these pictures are emerging that are artificially intelligently generated imagery to go alongside yeah. it or something like that. You can create so much art with that. It's amazing. But as far as I know, because a long time ago, I did a talk on AI for the gospel and I used CHAR-NN, a recurrent neural network character-based language model. And I modeled yeah. it off of Jonathan Edwards' sermons and tried to generate new sermons automatically from that. Yeah. And it was really funny because it had some really spectacular lines in there, but a lot of it also was garbage. And so it's like this mix match of like some really good gems that are being generated that you could plausibly think yeah. were created by that person and, and some that don't really make sense. Yeah. Is that kind of the state of the art now or is it generating really good answers that are you know sound and that people yeah. can actually pass for a human? It's been becoming better and better. In my previous company, we focused on natural language AI. I used to keep track of it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, every year that went past, the state of the art becomes better. The challenge of words that repeat and garbage getting produced at some point has been there, but it's becoming better and better as time goes on. Every field in AI has been pro progressing quite fast mm -hmm. in the last few years. Are we going to get to a point where things are almost flawless soon, I think? What we're talking about, it will be feasible more and more. So does um, that mean that you as someone in missions, you feel comfortable actually that one day we could very well have an echo that you can just ask questions about, you know, who's Jesus and what's the gospel and everything and that it could generate meaningful replies or I'm depressed and, you know, what's what hope do I have? And it can actually give a really theologically yeah. sound and, and emotionally connecting reply. You believe that that's really on the horizon very soon? Yeah, I think so. Just look at machine translation, which you're working in particularly in, right? Yes. I mean, machine right. translation is now really good. Five years ago, it was not, yeah? So if that field has exploded in quality, the same will apply to these other domains. Mm -hmm. Question answering, chatbots, generating natural language. Some of them are harder, for sure. Like, I mean, chatbots is a lot harder because your search space of possibilities is massive. Mm -hmm. But we're becoming better and better at this. It feels like we can almost not go faster and then there's a setback now and then again. So, I mean, this is how it is in research. You make a lot of progress. You think things are going to be really accelerating tremendously. And then there's a setback. But we're going to get there. And I think we have enough already to start looking at this, at using this mm -hmm. uh, seriously in yeah. part of the mission. To piggyback on your comment about translation, it's definitely improved ridiculously. And yeah. from statistical machine translation back when I was doing my research to today yeah. with neural machine translation, yeah. and it seemed exactly. like the key innovation or the breakthrough in my mind was actually the, the meaning representation or the way that we represented words when we switched yeah. to the, the language model like Glove, I think, or Bird transformer-based transformer models and stuff. Yeah. It was able to capture so much more than the old bag of words you know, approach yeah. of language modeling. Embedding. And, they call yeah, it a word, yeah, word embedding. embedding. That's the right word. Yeah. The word embeddings. Thank you. Now, and the that, embeddings, yes, exactly. And the embeddings actually is used in other domains too, like in recommendation engines, again, the neural recommendation engines. The state of the art there is also to use embeddings. So mm -hmm. it's the same idea. You have a particular customer that wants to buy a particular thing. If we represent both of those with an embedding, mm -hmm. that's like a fingerprint, we get much better accuracy outside the training data. The fingerprint of a word that has a similar meaning to another word will be similar. 
Yeah. Um, although the words might be totally different. So the same with a certain kind of person or customer as a similar fingerprint or embedding to a, a similar customer. And then the, the model be able to put them together and recommend similar things. Yeah, it's the same idea. Yeah, embeddings is a huge breakthrough um, because mm -hmm. the models don't have to be so sparse. They can be quite dense. The embeddings are dense. In English, say you have, I don't know, if there's 100,000 different words, that means a bag of 100,000 words, mm -hmm. but the embedding, the embedding space can compress that. A vector of 300 length can represent the meaning of all those words. So each, each of the words will have a different vector. But the length mm. of that vector is only 300. So it's quite dense that goes into the neural network. So that mm. network doesn't have to be so huge. It can just take in 300 dimensions that's compressed, but it has the meaning. Mm -hmm. And process that, map that word to whatever task you want to do with it. Yeah? We've made massive progress. I think if we just apply what we have today in a missions context, we can get something useful. Mm -hmm. provided we have enough funding and people to do the work, right? And we get mm -hmm. around other challenges like privacy and, you know, malicious intents and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And what, are, what are some of those risks of using AI emissions that you see? What are some of the risks to be aware of? I mean, I think the malicious aspect is there. If we're going to use reinforcement learning, that will be a risk. If we use supervised learning, then we just have to make sure our data is clean. So we can manage the risk by cleaning the data before we train, right? One of the big challenges would be to get the right people to work on the projects, number one. Mm. And two, to get the funding to enable it, right? We need a business model that enables this kind of work to happen. So that aligning of incentives is kind of what's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so. It's it's also a, a challenge is that in the church world or missions world, there's typically not so many technology people operating or there mm -hmm. hasn't been in the past. I think one challenge is people that are believers that work in technology have not always seen how they can contribute in something like missions. So the mm -hmm. result is that people who work in missions are often humanities people, but mm -hmm. not, are not scientific in the background. Now we need every, we need every type. The mission of God is for everyone. It's not mm -hmm. just for humanity or science people. It's for everyone. So we need everyone. But I think if we draw more science people into the, into missions, we'll have more resources to work with. Right? I see. So it's kind of a recruiting problem. Cause I think that people in the past did have this perception that to go into missions meant to sacrifice scientific engineering work which they yeah. have a passion for like you did. Yeah, and yeah. so that's a misconception. There's very few examples, I guess, that can cast the vision for that kind of a career or that kind of a vocation. Yeah, so uh, this is a slightly different topic we're getting into, but it's, it's something that I'm very passionate about is to combine work and faith. Mm -hmm. right? What we're discussing now is how do you combine your faith with your work? How do you serve God in your vocation? I think in missions, the historical model has that you give up your career to go into missions. That's not a valid assumption anymore. And it might never have been actually. The past mm -hmm. is the past. But increasingly now, you can do both. You can do your vocation, your training, your profession, plus do missions. Now I'm talking especially from a professional's point of view, right? I can talk from where I am. Everybody has its place and everyone is needed. But I think people with 
with professional backgrounds, especially in, in science and engineering, has been underrepresented in missions. Mm. So there's an opportunity there to bring some balance. And as we do that, we can start doing more of these projects, some more of these AI, for example, mm -hmm. because we can attract funding, we can attract people and do the, do the work, get the work done. Yeah. Finish the mission. I've found yeah. with the Theotech podcast, a lot of what we believe in is activating Christians to use their most valuable gifts for the gospel. So right. that means, you know, the Christians in technology and then working in AI, that they can use that university education and PhD research and world-class engineering yeah. skill for the gospel. And I exactly. also recognize what you said, which is, well, wow. these kinds of labors are very expensive actually, because the market values them very highly. And so you either get the model where they volunteer on the side a little bit, or if you could direct their labor, their full-time labor towards these endeavors with their skill, you might get a different outcome, but we have to cast the vision for it. And I know for right. my company, Theotech, we're not there yet, like a big tech company, but it was a dream for us that what if we could create a business model that worked the way that you said. So with our product Spiffio, we built a platform for anybody to use to translate, right? Both live speech, as well as like documents, like sermons and stuff. But our dream was, hey, if we can get churches at all these countries around the world using this every week to translate their sermons and having a, their community post edit and everything, we're going to build that data set for those languages. And maybe we can build data sets for the languages that don't have a Bible yet as well. Right. And as you just use it naturally week over week to do this, you end up getting curating a good data set that you're using for right. your actual preaching. And then we train the neural model and then we can get fantastic translation automatically out of it as well. So it, it can be right. a flywheel that could have a business model that funds the people to do the work and can create the translations and the data that can then mm. accelerate the translation of the Bible and the preaching of the gospel for all these unreached languages. So yeah. that's kind of the vision as well that we were, we're trying to work on it right now, actually. That's, yeah, that's if we have network effects and we build a network with each other, we can use those, as you said, flywheel spinoffs. Say if we have a startup project to do one of these things we mentioned, we need data sets. So if I know, okay, you have some data like this and I can have a copy of it, you know, then yep. we're closer to, to making this a reality. There's many ways to go about this, but I'm just, brainstorming that I think there's also a potential to raise funds towards these projects. If we can show donors that we can make this work, we can unlock some more funding towards it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think we need every model we can get to progress the mission of God. So there's the classical model, which is good, but we, we also have new models like this. And if we attract people and funding, we can make it a reality. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the funding part has two ways of doing it. There's the for-profit way that you're talking about, which is ideal. If you can find a way to combine business and for-profit incentive with this, yeah, then it's ideal. But I think we, we can also use the a donor model in addition. Mm. If we can show that we can make it work and it actually augments the existing effort of missions, we can build on top of people's efforts to make missions more efficient. We can show that it works and we can get the gospel out there and make disciples, contribute to making more disciples. Then we can attract more people and funding. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you think it means for it to work? Quote unquote, like, what does that look like? What kind of traction do you have to show? Cause yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. In missions, 
and gospel work in general. It's not about numbers in the first place, right? It's about mm -hmm. faithfulness. It's about being faithful to God's mission. Am I spending my effort and my energy in obedience to God's mission is what counts. It's not how many believers I've baptized. Yeah. If we see some results, that's great. It's great to see we have new disciples, we have baptisms, we have people studying the word. But that's not the first incentive. I think it's, you know, we're trying to be faithful to, um, to share the gospel. The first thing to measure is, am I faithfully sharing the gospel either in person or through my tech? Right? Mm -hmm. In the social media world, people talk about impressions, right? Yeah. All about impressions and, and follows and, and things like that. If we can show those kind of things, it's good as well. If we can get the gospel in front of more people and we have some data to show, listen, so many more people have seen gospel content, right, in this particular people group than mm -hmm. before. That's also a good, a good piece of data. Yeah, I wanted to maybe close with one last topic that I think is relevant too, which is that in unreached people, groups, and countries, it may not be the case that there's zero Christians, Christians that there's only like one or only a handful, right, who are part of that culture and that language. How do, how do we help multiply their effort and help them to be fruitful and encourage them when they are perhaps very isolated too? Yeah, I think most of the things we've listed and talked about has been more about evangelism. So not necessarily for existing believers. I mean, one thing I think that would help is to have a secure social network for people like this, mm -hmm. where they can engage with other believers using the internet. But it'll have to be secure. So they don't get persecution, right? Or they don't have increased persecution. Yeah, one of the approaches that we have helped with a project for discipleship content that's been translated into many languages, it's called the Zume Project, Z-U-M-E training, like discipleship training. And we help to get the content into a multilingual app form where it's basically something that they don't have to get it from the app store, which could be kind of censored, but it's just through the web and they can get it offline, get the content offline. And then that way they can use it just anywhere, basically that they have their, their smartphone. And it's kind of one of those ways that we try to keep it secure where, you know, maybe they don't have to access it over their IP or whatever like that. And also it can't be blocked once they have it offline. There's a lot of these kind of interesting techniques to use when you're in situations where you can't really rely on your internet connection. So that's, right. that's been something we've been exploring as well. That's a fruitful avenue of research, definitely. How to get around the security issues with innovative solutions like that. I just thought that two other things we mentioned before, which we didn't talk about, was the build an AI generation app that can generate content for somebody to consume based on a scripture, like a short mm. message. You know, you can, you can use controlled natural language generation to generate a, a mini sermon or a message taking as input a particular scripture and maybe in addition something about that person maybe he's you know his profile some issues he has the things he needs and we can train a an ai model to generate something for him it could help him that's better than nothing right if somebody doesn't have anything yeah. nobody to talk to we could at least generate something like a little sermon for him that's applicable to his where he's at. The same thing is applicable in a free open country too, right? Yeah, I could see it also to bring the human element back in. It's that we could use AI uh, as a coach for a human too. So if it really did have uh, natural language generation, it could be that the AI is the one like maybe I'm using Facebook and I have a, a Chrome extension plugin 
that I permit it to do, it can get some Facebook information and I'm having a conversation with someone, you can recommend like, hey, here are some possible topics you can talk with this person or that, you know, that they might be interested in, or, hey, here's like a, a message about depression or something that you can, you can share, you can speak to them to encourage them. So it's not the, right. the person who hears the gospel may not be interacting with the AI directly, but it could be equipping the believers Right. Uh, as a tool to give us the resources so that we're doing right, right, right. evangelism and discipleship. And it just helps yeah, us yeah. can do it at yeah. scale. We could use it on both ends. We could use it for the unreached person mm -hmm. or we could use it for the worker to equip the worker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cause um, there's something I like about the second model that feels in line with even scripture. Cause the discipleship that happens happens as we do the evangelism, as we do the work of the ministry, build those relationships and love people. I see it. I see it empowering believers to do what God always called us to do. Yeah. When we can yeah. use the AI that way rather sure. than the place of a human, you know, we can use it. We can use it everywhere. We can yeah. use AI to help everywhere across the missions enterprise, mm -hmm. right? I mean, another area is Bible translation. As the neural translation becomes better and better, we, I think we need to start using it more and more to finish the job of translating the scriptures for every language. Yep. That's another one where you could augment the efforts of the translator enormously. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly I mean, what we're doing right now with our Spiffio product. One thing that we discovered that was interesting when we were using some of the off-the-shelf engines, I speak Bahasa Indonesia. And in the early days, Google Translate, for example, it was trained, I think, on a lot of Christian content because when you translate certain words for worship and stuff, it would use the Christian word. But then I think they got more Islamic content in there, in their engine, in their models. So now the general purpose model tends to lean towards the Islamic terms for worship. Right. Like there's a need there to give users control over which training set data sets they want to use for their specific content. Because if they're yeah. doing a general Indonesian government thing, maybe it makes a lot of sense to pick the you know, the Islamic word. Mm -hmm. If they're doing a church-specific Bible thing, it makes more sense to choose the Christian word. And so there's yeah. just uh, interesting to see that that evolution and the need for giving users control really over. Yeah. Over the data well, data actually, data. it's there's two ways to solve that problem, right? You train it with a different data set. So... Mm -hmm. You either train it with a more Christian data set or a more Muslim data set, or you train it on both at the same time and you make the culture you're aiming at one of the inputs to the model. So mm. then, you, then it becomes a controlled generation problem where you, you don't only take in the source language, you also take in the source culture. Right? Okay. And you twist. So the, the model will learn one more dimension to its multi-dimensional probability distribution it's learning. I see. Not just, it, will, it will learn us generate off the distribution of the English going in, but also the distribution of the target culture. Is that part of the embedding then? You can learn an embedding for that, okay. but you'll, you'll basically need your data set to be augmented with an extra column for the culture. So okay. your data set would have, instead of two columns, would have three columns. One is the source language going in, then the source culture, Christian or Muslim, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the translated sentence. Right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. you can have any, any number of columns going in. It's just expanding it with one more dimension. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's a much more powerful way because then you can take advantage of all the training data rather than being limited to just a yeah. subset. I mean, it comes with other challenges because your model is now bigger, so more weights to learn. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this, this here is the challenge in AI of how you get from a specific task to a more general intelligence. We were able to solve specific tasks, but when we go to bigger intelligence where our AI has to do more, it becomes harder and harder, right? Mm -hmm. But I mean, this particular thing is now quite possible. Controlled generation is a big field of study and, you know, there's a lot of literature 
that mm-hmm. is out there. Well, I hope that we're able in the future to take these innovations and make them accessible to the public so that they don't only yeah. rest in the research world, but they get engineered into products, you know, that at the end of the day, the pastor is like, oh yeah, this is Christian content. Boop. Oh, I got a great, perfect translation <laughs> into Indonesia. Exactly. Uh, but this touches on what we said before, that we, we have to we have to make sure we don't have a secular sacred divide in the in the body of Christ, right? We need to we need to know that every area of science is also under God's authority, mm-hmm. and we need we need uh, we need believers to operate in God's mission in those fields. So it's not just about attracting funds; it's also about attracting people mm-hmm. and attention, attracting attention. We need we need leaders to 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 be to put f- emphasis on this kind of work in their thinking. And we need, we, need, we need believers to operate at the forefront of science, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, we need, as believers, we need to be right there where the new, the new neural net uh, literature is being published. Right? Mm-hmm. And that, I think I found it to be true. The, the more vocal we are casting vision about using technology for God's kingdom, people, so many people want to be a part of that. Uh, I think that it's, uh, you know, God's, God's going to send the laborers, yeah. God's calling the laborers uh, to, to do this work. And so I have confidence it's, it's going to happen. As you said, I think a lot of it is just casting vision, right? We need to be casting vision. I mean, your work you're doing is already working out, right? Yeah, I mean, you're one, you're one data point of how we can put technology to use in God's mission, right? Um, mm-hmm. Although it's a bit of a different mission, mainly maybe to what I'm talking about, but it's still, you're combining faith and work, right? Um, and you are trying to get scientific the latest scientific literature in action in 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 uh, in God's things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think both in the church world and in the missions world, the way I'm defining missions, in both, um, there's a lot of scope for this. And and I, as you said, we need to be casting vision. We need to be attracting people and money. And I'm sure it's going to happen, like you said, because. Um, God is ultimately the author of all the science. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and uh, yeah, he's going to use it. So it's an opportunity for us because it's a, it's kind of a frontier, like, you know, because it's just like the, the frontiers of missions where the gospel is not available is a frontier. This is also a frontier of getting, getting some of the latest science to be used in God's purposes is a frontier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that hasn't been done that there's an opportunity for us to utilize and to put in action. Amen. Well, thank you so much, James, for joining me on the Theotech podcast. Look forward to seeing where these ideas go and how God can use AI for the future. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Theotech podcast. If you'd like to be part of a 24-hour hackathon creating technology that makes a difference for communities and imagines the future of church, Head over to eventbrite.com and find our Code for the Kingdom virtual hackathon on March 20th. The event is free, open to developers, creatives, church workers, anyone who's interested in using technology for the gospel. If you'd also like to support our work sharing stories at the intersection of theology and technology, you can become a patron at patreon.com theotech. Or if you'd like, give us a review on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to the show. I also want to take a moment to thank all of our current patrons for making this episode possible. And until next time, God bless.